Well, again, happy St. Patrick's Day. I want everyone to take just like 10 seconds, run around as fast as you can, and pinch as many people you see not wearing green as possible, because that is uh, in the Bible. In the book of parentheses, it says, uh, Thou shall uh, pinch those who doth not wear green on St. Patrick's Day. Okay, that's a lie. That isn't in there. There's not even the book of parentheses yet. I'm writing it right now. Um, No, happy St. Patrick's Day. You know what's always crazy to me is the more I've learned about St. Patrick, it's kind of crazy. Like when we think about it from kind of an American culture, right, we think about St. Patrick's Day is the day where you can pinch people and not get in trouble. And typically where you maybe have one or too many uh, fermented drinks, you you like dye, you know, wildlife rivers and stuff green. You do all these things that are kind of like not the greatest things in the world. And yet St. Patrick was this really amazing dude who went to Ireland to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in a place that just didn't know it. And um, really, really cool dude. So if you want, uh, spend St. Patrick's Day. If you want, you can either at 3.30 watch Michigan State win uh, the Big Ten Championship, uh, or you can read about uh, St. Patrick. Uh, either way, you should do that. Well, this morning, we are continuing in our series called The Kingdom. And uh, if you haven't been with us, that's okay. Uh, we're going to give a little crash course this morning on what we mean by the kingdom. But we are spending our time heading up to Easter, uh, looking at the Gospel of Matthew and looking at this theme that Jesus talks about more than anything else, which is the kingdom of God. And we've been in particular been hanging out looking at this place uh, in Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, which is this manifesto teaching of Jesus. It is his state of the union. It is this important, biggest, longest sermon that he gives that we have that kind of sets the pace for what does it look like to live in the kingdom and what does it look like to have wisdom and ethics from the kingdom. This morning we're going to talk in particular about wisdom from the kingdom but I wanted to ask you guys a question. How, how many of you guys, if you're honest, like maybe you even grew up in church and you're like, man, like we never talked about the kingdom. We talked about heaven. We talked about hell. We talked about church. Uh, but we didn't really talk about the kingdom. That was true in my case. So it was a couple of years ago that I was kind of turned on to this idea of I almost think when I read it, I just sort of skipped over. And I, meant, and I was like, oh, the kingdom means the church. You know, it means this building with a steeple. And the reality is it doesn't. And what I found as I began to research more and and try to dig into different things, what I found was there were these polar opposite streams of uh, of thoughts on the kingdom. And it made me think a little bit of, do you guys remember the commercials for um, Mac versus PC? They were hilarious. They they would have this uh, guy who looked kind of like cool and young and hip, and he was the Mac guy. And then you had the PC guy who wore like the weird three-piece suit that was like, all like taupe and just, uh, and they would do these funny things about, you know, kind of making fun of like, oh, you're the old school, you can't do this, and I'm the new school, and I can do this. And what I began to realize is that when we talk about the kingdom, there's kind of these polar opposite views that people have on the kingdom that are kind of like the Mac versus PC debate. On one end, you have a group of people who will say the kingdom, when Jesus talks about all that stuff, all he's really talking about is someone saying a prayer, having a personal relationship with him, and eventually going to heaven someday. Wrap it up, we're good, bam. And that was really the extent of it. Yeah, if you could end up doing some nice things for other people along the way, that'd be great. But in some ways, the kingdom was boiled down to this just deeply, holy, personal thing. Nothing less, nothing more. And that's what it was about. And so you had that side. 
And then on this other side, you have this group of people who began to look at it and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. But what about when Jesus says, take care of the poor? What about when he talks about the marginalized? What do he talks about the oppressed? What about all these things? And they began to do sort of this overcorrection from, well, maybe it's not just about heaven and not just about all these things. And what if it's also about social justice and taking care of the least of these? And they began to maybe take a little bit less of a stance on the idea of what we might call personal holiness or morality or ethics. And maybe that that isn't as important because the love your neighbor part is maybe more important than love the God part. As I began to research and began to kind of pray and just seek God as I read scripture myself, what I began to realize is that they are both right and they are both wrong. That when it comes to understanding the kingdom of God, does God want us to live a holy moral life not not holier than thou not just like you know bible thumping uh people who just seem like they're judgmental no does he does he call us to something greater something that is different something set apart our actions our relationships our attitudes our words our thoughts different a hundred percent and on the same vein does he call us to deeply care about the least of these to be uh living among the world but not of the world a hundred percent. And I don't think you can divorce the two. That if you want to truly understand the kingdom of God, you have to look at it from a holistic view. Now, an interesting thing that some people will talk about when they think about scripture, they even think about Jesus in the kingdom, is they some people have this nasty thought in their mind that Jesus came and just wiped everything uh, clean in terms of like the Old Testament, throw it out, it doesn't matter, it's full of weird stuff, which it is, I'll give you that. But let's throw it out and let's just start from Jesus. And the reality is, is that's not what Jesus did, right? So we're going to dive in this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be jumping around some of the Sermon on the Mount. We don't have enough time this morning to dive into every piece of it because it is long. Um, but you should take time. Uh, some of your journal reading will even probably be some of that this week to just dive in more to the Sermon on the Mount. But this is what Jesus says. Last week, we, we, we talked about this idea of, of, the, of the, the kingdom of God, the, the, those who would be a part of it. The church, which is the vehicle of the kingdom, should be salt and light in the world. They should be exposing the gospel to everyone else. And they should also be like salt, where they're enhancing the rest of the world and they're helping preserve the rest of the world. And there's a purity to them. So immediately after this, this is Jesus' next teaching. He just says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what in the world does that even mean? Let's break some of this down real quick. So when Jesus says, I have not come uh, to abolish the law or the prophets, some of us are probably like, what does that even mean? So when Jesus talks about this idea of the law and the prophets, he's talking truly just about what we have as the Old Testament today. And it's more than just the Ten Commandments. There's like hundreds of different pieces uh, uh, of the law. Some of it is really great. Some of it's a little little different. Um, again, I'm, I'm glad we live in a time where we don't have to sacrifice um, animals to be good with God. Because I'm not like a big animal lover, but I just, I'm just not a big blood guy, you know? That's just me. And uh, But when Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fill it, what he truly means is he didn't come to just say, all right, everything that you heard before, throw it out the window. That's awful. Because there's this reality that Jesus came sent by the Father to really just put a bow on everything. That he didn't come to just say... It, it's sort of like he, he, you know, like when you're writing like a, an essay and you start writing it in school and, and you get to a certain point and you're like, I can't do any of this. I just got to scrap it and throw it out. That's not what happens here. 
Really what Jesus came to do is say, no, 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 no. Let me take what is already good here and I'm going to make it better. So we don't have enough time to go over all of them. But as Jesus continued on in his teaching, here are some of the things that he began to do that was different and fulfilling. He said, you've heard before that it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already murdered him. He goes on and he says, hey, you've heard that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you have had lusted in your heart for another person's spouse, then you have already committed adultery with him. Now, I don't know about y'all, but like that makes me a little mad. Because I feel like prior to Jesus, like, it would have been pretty easy, right? I mean, it's not that hard not to sleep with someone who's not your spouse. No offense, I'm just saying. It's not that hard not to kill someone. Maybe sometimes when it's your older brother and you want to play in 64 and they took it, but whatever. But the reality is... There's some of these things that aren't that hard. He goes on and he talks about, hey, you can't you can't uh, do divorce in a terrible way that just leaves women uh, helpless because that was what was happening at the time. Hey, stick to your promises and your vows and don't swear on anything other than me. He talks about revenge and how revenge is not the right way, that that's not the way of God. He goes on and he talks about loving our enemies. I hate that one. I'm just going to be honest with you all. Who really sits down and says like, yes, today I would like to find my enemy and love them. We send them a nice edible arrangement. Nobody. It sounds awful. I want to just get revenge. I want to be mean to my enemies. That's why they're my enemy. Who says they really want to give to the needy? You know, I got student loans. Come on, I'm needy. What about me? Prayer and fasting. He, he talks about money, possessions, judging. He talks about prayer. He talks about this, this golden rule that we'll get to in a minute. He talks about this narrow gate that we'll get into in a minute. He talks about this idea of what it looks like to have true fruit and what it looks like to be a true disciple. And he talks about wise building. We're going to get there in a moment, because that's where we're really going to be camping out this morning. But Jesus comes, and in every single thing, he takes on things of the time, of the law, and he begins to say, no, 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 no. you've heard this right, but let me tell you what it's really supposed to mean. What he does is he begins to amplify it. He calls us to a higher place. This morning, if you're taking notes, here's, here's kind of the first big point this morning, is that kingdom wisdom is deeply concerned with a changed heart, not just changed behavior. There's this reality that the law in and of itself was just looking at a place of behavior modification in a lot of ways. Don't do this, do this. Don't do that, do this. And the reality is Jesus looks and says, listen, y'all can skate through really easy and have nothing to do in terms of loving God and loving your neighbor. You can skate through because, again, some of these aren't that difficult. And so he begins to look in everything that people may say that Jesus changed. No, he fulfills it. He amplifies it and says, no, no, no I'm going to call you to a greater place because when you have hatred in your heart, you know what? It is like you have killed them. Because I am their heavenly father. I deeply care about them. It's like, have you ever like said something bad to someone's like kid and ever had like a mom like get super mad at you? Moms, I'm just going to be honest. Y'all are some of the most frightening people I've ever met in my life. I mean that in the nicest way, but like, like dads, like we're, we're like protectors. I get it. But like, man, if you like even like remotely do something wrong to like a mother's child, like holy smokes. Like, I don't know why there are not probably more ladies in prison for, like, killing people. Maybe they have better patience and slow-to-anger type stuff like God. But there is just this reality that there is something deeper. And I think when God starts to call these things out, when Jesus starts reteaching some of these things, he's calling it to this greater place to say, hey, listen, it's great that you didn't kill him. I'm really glad about that. But my heart hurts the fact that you even went this step, this step. 
My heart hurts this fact that you did that. And this, this idea of kingdom wisdom being about uh, a heart change is just this reality. That, that's the gospel. The gospel is not, the message of Jesus Christ is not don't do this and do this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about this idea that, hey, you once were lost, but man, can you be found? Your heart once was broken, it once was empty, but man, can I fix it? Can I fill it? And that's what it's about. And if we miss those points, we miss everything. One of my, one of my mentors says, says it this way. If we miss Jesus, we miss everything. And it's so true. You can do all of the right things morally. You can pray a certain prayer, this sort of sinner's prayer. But the reality is, is if your heart and life isn't deeply transformed by Jesus Christ, it's all for nothing. It doesn't really matter. I like to think about it this way. The reason why Jesus wanted to do this was, how many of you guys hate, still maybe hate cleaning your room? I still hate it. My wife makes me clean my room sometimes, and it makes me frustrated. We share the same room, just if anyone was wondering. It's not like one of those sort of things. But I used to hate when my mom would make me clean my room. And did any of you guys have, like, there, there were the times of the year where it was the deep clean, where it was like, all right, we're actually going to pull everything out from underneath your bed. We're going to, like, get rid of clothes, like, all the sort of stuff and take a goodwill. Versus, like, all right, you have to clean this if you want your friend to come over. I don't know about you, but I used to, like, make a game out of it. Like, if I could convince my mom and dad to let a friend stay the night, of course there's, like, we have to do this, this, and that. Man, I tell you what, I could dust stuff so fast. I could, like, compile things to go under beds so fast. Like, it was amazing. I was really good at fake cleaning where, you know what I mean, like, you just kind of sweep things under the rug, quite literally. And, uh, but I think when Jesus is talking here, what he's talking about is more of a deep clean is that when we just don't do certain things, that's just sweeping it under the rug. It's just sort of like this. But again, it's fostering in our heart a place that isn't in line with what the Father's heart is like. And so Jesus, as he continues to teach on in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, he says this, So in everything you do, this is sometimes known as the golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the laws and the prophets. Now, so check this out. This is kind of interesting, right? So first he says, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And then he says, this is all you got to do. You must do unto others as you'd like them to be done to you. Now, he's coming from it from an angle of, listen, I think all of us would love to be deeply loved by the God of all the universe. I think all of us would love to be treated with dignity, equality, humanity. And so basically what he begins to say is, let me boil things down super simply. You've had these millions of laws that you've had to memorize and recite and all this time. Hey, if you could just do these things, if you could literally just kind of start to think about in another place in in the Gospels, he talks about it this way. He says, just, you know, it boils down to this. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we just do those things, that's it. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if it was that simple? Like, it would be really easy to love my neighbor if they weren't a jerk, right? I know some of you guys are like, man, you're a pastor. You're a bad person. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And so are you. It's all good. We're among friends, right? Because, again, it comes back to this idea that it's not just about what is happening. It's, it's sort of like this. Like, you as a, if you're a parent, like, you don't want your kid just to not do bad stuff. You want them to do good things, right? You don't want them to, ju- to just, uh, you know, keep themselves away from doing bad things. You want their heart to be, you want them to be a good person, right? Which we know as, as followers of Jesus, there's more to life than just being, quote, unquote, a good person. 
But there's this reality that we, if we could just bottle things up and just do all of that, if we could just treat others the way that God treats them, the way that he sees them, the way that he has treated us, man, how good could life be? But in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, he begins to, at the end of his teaching, after he went through all of these different sort of things of, um, hey, don't do this, do this, you've heard this, I'll tell you this. He begins to teach on some different warnings. And here's one of the warnings he gives, which is sometimes the part where some people want to jump off the Jesus boat. because like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> who are you, the Son of God, to say some of these harsh things? But he says this, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only few go through it. Man, that's tough, right? He's basically saying, listen, it is the largest highway you've ever met for the life of destruction. Of sorrow, of pain. But narrow is the path that is going to lead to life. In the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about how he is... The way, truth, and life. That no one gets to the Father except through me. When Jesus does this teaching, he's basically saying, hey, get this. To those of you who maybe say, I can buy into the ethics that you have, that you've given. I, I, I buy into those. Those are good that we should take care of the poor. Those are good of these. He, he's still saying this reality that, listen, if you do not submit yourself to go through it my way, you're missing out. It doesn't matter. You can do all of the great things. You can give all your money to the poor. You can do all these great things. But if you never have this moment in which you enter through the gate, this narrow gate, and this isn't just about heaven, this dwelling. We, 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 we misinterpret this thing. Don't, don't hear me wrong on this idea that I don't believe heaven. Uh, heaven is a real place. Heaven is a place that I long to be at. And heaven is where my eternity is going to be. But there's this reality that if our life is just only focused on making it to a place, but we don't even know the person who we're going to live with. If our heart hasn't been transformed into theirs, that, 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 that's not really a real relationship. This isn't a transactional sort of thing where all we want is, I'll say this prayer, you let me in the door. This isn't, hey, here's the secret passcode, like you are in elementary school. Ducks fly together, let me in. Like, that's not how it's going to work. It's this reality that if we truly want to enter into relationship with God, if we truly want to spend eternity with him, we have to follow his teachings. And we can't just pick and choose. Which brings me to the final piece of teaching. So Jesus, as he's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, it's really interesting because he decides to teach from something that's deeply personal. Jesus, by trade, uh, his 30 years before he became a rabbi, was a carpenter. He built stuff. He built homes. He built furniture. And so when he begins to teach here, he's not just teaching from this theoretical idea where he uses this like, here's this cool analogy I, I heard from these other rabbis or different things like that. He's talking about stuff that he has actually experienced, actually knows what he's talking about. And so this is how he ends his teaching. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, let's be honest. You don't have to be a rocket science. You don't have to know anything about the construction to understand uh, this concept, right? 
that, yes, it's not good to maybe build a house on sand. Things that move, that shift constantly, that weather can be built upon. Versus something that is hard like a rock is obviously going to be a very firm foundation. Now, it's not that hard. This isn't, this isn't, I'm not going to try to like pull out some like deep meaning like, let me tell you actually this Greek word when it means this and that and the other. No, it's pretty straightforward. What Jesus is saying is, listen, if you truly want to be able to weather this storm of life, if you want to enter in through the narrow gate, if you want to truly have peace and you want to be a part of my kingdom, here's the reality. If I am not the foundation, And if my teachings, my ways are not the foundation of your life, guess what? The storms will come and your house is going to crash. It doesn't matter how good it looks on the outside. Tell you what, you could have what looks like the perfect marriage. You could have what looks like the job that just gives you so much joy and so much money. You can have what you think are the perfect children. You can have all of the things that this world says is what makes life great and good. And yet the reality is the storm will always come. And if you're on the sand, the sand is always going to be moving. I meet so many people that when I talk to them, they sometimes have this pattern of life of just brokenness. And then they start to kind of repair things and things look good and then brokenness. And they sit back and they say, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand why in the world, why does God pick on me? That's what I hear sometimes. Why does God pick on me? I've I've given my life to him, yet he continues to do these. Now, again, if you ask the questions, you begin to realize bad decisions were made. But it comes back to this idea that we begin to stop living for the king and we stop following his rules. Now, what's interesting about this is the very last two verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 28 and 29, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. He taught with authority. You know, it's interesting. We live in a culture that hates authority, right? Like, I understand advocacy and and not trusting everyone just blindly. But, like, let's just think about it for a second. Any medical professional in the room, I'd like to apologize for you for just a moment because let's be honest, every time someone comes to your office, they've Google searched everything, right? And they have a PhD in exactly what you have uh, because they Google searched, right? If you're a teacher, the kids surely or their parents surely know exactly how everything went and exactly how everything should go because, of course, uh, they have, you know, spent years thinking through education, things like this. Now, again, this is tongue-in-cheek, but there's this reality that part of our culture, good and bad, has swung this pendulum because we have been let down by authority figures to this point where we don't want anyone to have control over us, right? We don't want anyone to say, I can't do this or I can't do that. And the reality is, in the culture that we live in with that, that makes it incredibly, incredibly difficult for us to truly buy into everything as citizens of the kingdom. Because there's this reality that when Jesus teaches, he's teaching with authority. What's amazing is, you know, it's kind of cute when we read it. It says, the crowds were amazed by his teaching. I will tell you, if you were to look at the Greek word, which I'm not even going to try to say, it really more likely translates to like, their minds were blown. Because what he was saying was kind of crazy, was incredibly controversial, but also they knew that there was something deeply authoritative that he was saying it not as a person who was just sort of flippantly saying things, but someone who had power. 
And there's this reality that in our lives, the, the wisdom that we receive, sometimes the source is more important than the wisdom itself. And so Jesus, yes, his wisdom is good. Yes, it's important, but it's because he says it that it's good. You see, kingdom wisdom isn't just about the principles of the wisdom, but it's also about the source. And that source is Jesus, the Son of Man, sent here as an infant, came here to pay the debt that we could never pay so that we could have new life, that there'd be a new way ushered in. You see, Jesus' authority was in his fulfillment And in the kingdom, only a king has the authority. Think about that. Again, it's harder for us to wrap our brains around that because we live in a different political climate. But there's this reality that that, that in ancient cultures where there would be a king, like if they said jump, you better jump because they mean business. If they say this is the law, then this is the law. And when you don't follow the law, there's this reality that it could lead to destruction. And there's this reality that sometimes I think what we end up doing is we, 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 we blame things on God because we say, hey, God, that's unfair. Why did, you, why, did my, why did my life fall apart when I built my life upon the sand? We look and we say, why, why, in, the world, why in the world do I have to submit to your authority? Can't I just pick and choose? I love the idea of, uh, uh, of your free grace, but man, I don't want to love my enemy. Heck, I don't even want to love my loved one. And yet that is what he has called us to do. He's called us to come there. In the book of James, uh, James was written by one of Jesus' brothers. I always take James's words maybe with like a finer grade of salt more than anyone else. Because here's what I really believe in. I have two older brothers, and man, they're jerks. Um, I mean, they're, we're great now, but like growing up, they were jerks. And uh, I'm going to be honest. Like growing up, like if, if, if somehow my brothers were the Messiah, which they never could be because they are terribly broken, fallen people. Um, one of them is even a pastor now, which is fun. But um, like I wouldn't believe in him. And, and it's kind of interesting. Jesus' brothers, well, while he was doing his ministry, they didn't buy into it. Classic brother type thing. They didn't buy into it. But what's interesting is later on, all of, the, all of the brothers got converted. All of them began to believe. And my thought is, listen, if you can come to a place where you start to believe that your brother is the Messiah, like it had to be real because there's no way that anyone would ever say anything great about their brother if it wasn't true, right? And so, but this is what James says in, in, the ch- in chapter 1, verses 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. He, he talks pretty uh, openly, uh, candidly. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, because again, the law was made not to restrain us but to give us freedom, and continues in it, not only forgets what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. My friends, there's just this reality that whether we like it or not, there are two things we have to do if we truly want to follow Jesus. We have to come under his authority, bow to him as king, and say that truly he is the only way. He is the only one. And we do it not out of a groveling, scared way, but we do it because he's good. Because as he talks about in the Gospel of John, that his his burden is easy. It's light. That even though it may be difficult to follow him, that the gate is narrow, that there will be times that it's difficult, man, there's not a better way. There's not another way that leads to anything of life and hope. And the other thing is, 
You have to decide that if you truly want to follow the king, you can't pick and choose what things he says that you like and what things you don't. Again, I'm just being honest with you because I'm I'm a pretty open person. There are things that Jesus teaches that I wish he didn't. I don't like them because it's hard. Because I'm a broken, flawed person. It's easy to have hatred in my heart, to have lustful eyes, to be to be greedy and prideful. But there's this reality that I found that the more that I spend time with him, the more I just wake up every day and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I need you. The more I slowly see my heart is being shaped into that of Christ. You know, they talk about the five people you spend the most time with in your life tend to be the people who shape most of who you are. The question I always try to ask myself is, would Jesus be one of them? In the way I'm living my life right now, would it be apparent that Jesus has shaped my life? And if the answer is no, I need to make some changes. My friends, you cannot have the kingdom without the king, and nor can you serve the king without seeking his kingdom. You can't do it can't do it. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and we're going to sing one last song, but I I wanted to read one more scripture to you guys this morning. And it kind of maybe puts a little bow on what we've been talking about, what we've been seeing about this morning. And and it comes from the book of Ezekiel. And and, and, and it's God talking. And and he's he's giving this promise, this prophecy. and, And this is prior to Jesus. And he just says this. He says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove the stone heart from your body and I'll replace it with a heart that is God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do whatever I tell you and to live by my commands. Friends, I believe that when I read the Old Testament, there are times that there are promises that, yeah, we pluck and we try to take that weren't there for us. They were for a season, for a moment, that God was talking to a person or people. But I truly believe with all my heart that this is a promise that God wrote not just for the Israelite people in that moment, but for all people. That if we would commit our ways to Him, if we'd allow Him to cleanse us, to make us new, that He'd put a new heart in us. Not one that's stoned, not one that, that, that resists these, these laws, these teachings, not this one that resists this idea of an authority. Not this one that resists a father who deeply loves us. But I'll give you one that will live in my ways. It won't be self-willed. It will be through the will of God. And I will put a spirit inside you, my Holy Spirit, that will help you live this life. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to fail constantly. But the good news is I will always be there for you. Because I deeply love you. My friends, the invitation this morning is that all of us, no matter what our story is, no matter what's been going on in our life, no matter where we've had any sort of relational with God, is that this morning there's the opportunity, the invitation, that you could begin to walk through the narrow gate. And it won't be easy, but man, will it be worth it. Where you could ask God, God, would you take the stone heart out of me? And man, would you put a fresh new one in there? Would your spirit just dwell inside of me? Man, that could be the best decision you could ever make. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have time to just worship for a moment. And during this time as we worship, would you just freely just listen to what God might want to say to you and ask Him anything you may want to ask Him? Let's pray.
God, I love the fact that that God, your son Jesus talks about how we have a confidence. A confidence, the fact that we can come to you. The God of all the universe who placed the stars in the sky, who, who made dry bones come alive, who parted the Red Sea, who, who quite literally sent his son into this world and raised him to life. God, that God who is deeply powerful, who is deeply loving and deeply just. God, we can approach him, his throne with confidence through Jesus Christ. God, we don't have to worry about our past. That God, you are good and you can handle any of it. So God, this morning, I pray that no matter where we are, maybe would everyone this morning have a fresh moment of just coming before you. Confessing the sin, the the brokenness, the, the things in our life that we've done that's counter to you. Whether it's not following your teachings or not giving you the proper place in our life as king, as lord, as authority, as father. And God, maybe would this morning be a turning point in our life where everything changes. God, this morning we're asking you to give us a new heart. We're asking you to fill us with your spirit. God, would we recognize this idea that we have a new identity. That we are sons and we are daughters. Deeply loved. Not because of anything we could do or anything we could earn or anything we could deserve. But all because of your deep and unfailing love for us. God, this morning, speak to us. We are listening. Jesus, name I pray. Amen.